2: Hello. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf and Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations to solve their biggest problems and leverage the largest opportunities. I do this through a combination of roles from executive advisor to coach to consultant. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on helping leaders innovate or update how they lead. I'm also an adjunct faculty member on university in the US and Germany. Today I'm delighted to have Mike Sayer as our guest. He is the transformation practice lead for Metcalf and Associates. Mike loves tackling great leadership challenges that require a high level of business acumen and experience, an inquisitive and open mind, a collaborative leadership style, and people development to sustain increasing momentum. He's led small privately and publicly held technology companies, cybersecurity software, e-commerce payments, and electronic manufacturing services, as well as larger, more traditional manufacturing companies through successful transformations. So the Innovative Leadership Show is intended to focus on helping leaders who are already either emerging or in significant leadership roles update how they lead. If we're truly facing the amount of technology changes that are forecasted, so according to Ray Kurzweil, about 20,000 times more technology change. In the century of 2000 to 2100, then we as leaders really need to look at how do we as individuals just metabolize that rate of change, and then how do we lead our organizations? So imagine that in 50 years, our life expectancy is 110 years. What's it going to look like in the workforce when we have people applying for jobs who are 95? We talk now about the challenge of millennials and managing the greatest generation at the same time. That gap isn't anywhere near what we're going to face as leaders. Just imagine the HR department and how we're going to manage insurance and, and all of the nuances of leading such a diverse workforce, just as one simple example. And so the aim of this program is really to help leaders add additional skills and competencies to their portfolio so they are better equipped to navigate these changes. So to do that, we've invited a series of executives that I think are exceptional and also thought leaders and people who bring different tools and tried to create a suite of learning experiences for our listeners that will allow you to stay informed. And I hope Take something away from each show that you can actually implement in your daily lives, either at work or at home, that will help you continually innovate so that you never become one of those leaders who is exiting your job against your will because someone else identified that you were outdated. So as part of the Executive Insights series, I invited Mike because he's transformed several companies, mostly building for sale or exit. He's known for his ethical and caring approach to driving results over the past decades. In a time where people struggle to find their own approach, Mike has lived his values and delivered strong results. These are the reasons I also invited Mike to join our company. He's one of the people who truly I admire for following what is true for him. And it's so difficult for leaders. We all say we're ethical. And yet many of us can point to a point in time where when we were choosing from bad or worse, we chose easiest. Easiest still being incredibly painful and incredibly hard. And yet we lacked that extra bit of courage and hoped no one would find out. Mike is the kind of guy who doesn't do that. Mike is the kind of guy who chooses hard and right over easier and more expedient. And for that reason, I really wanted to work with him more closely as part of our team. So, Mike, welcome. I'm delighted to have you you here. Thank you for having
3: me here this morning. This
2: is great. So tell us a little bit more about your approach in general and your approach to transforming organizations.
3: So there are... there's a lot goes into that of course and and i'll take a line from the james cancer center you know no cancer is routine no transformation Mm, is routine either of course they're all different so i tend to start any such engagement or entry into a into a new company by letting everybody know how i work You know, I I have, you know, a certain set of guidelines that I sort of always follow, and and I expect others to follow as well, but I tell them that up front Mm -hmm. because I don't want them wasting time guessing about what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. And so that whenever there's a decision to be made, uh, whether I'm there or not, they know where I'm going to go, and uh, I think that saves a lot of time uh, and gets everybody out of the gate a little more comfortable. So I'm very transparent uh, to begin with. Um, the other thing i i I always try to do and i talk a lot about it is make sure that i that i'm trying to do what's in the best interest of uh, all the stakeholders of the company
2: Mm -hmm.
3: be it the owners Mm -hmm. the employees or associates the customers uh the you know the the suppliers uh, and, and the communities in which we live and so that that gives you a pretty rounded view of of what really needs to be done because those companies are responsible to all of those constituencies. Mm -hmm. And especially in the CEO role, you need to be really aware of that. And if you're always trying to do the right thing, the best thing, and you're really consistent Mm -hmm. about that, people uh, tend to trust you Mm -hmm. because they know where you're going.
2: You know, it's interesting. We've talked about conscious capitalism on occasion on the show, mm. and their framework really looks at how do I optimize those stakeholders as as one of their tenants. And when you and I first talked about it, I realized we, we've never used those words. These are just your values. Right. The-
3: right. I mean, you know, since we met several years ago. Uh, I've learned a lot about, you know, the theories and, mm-hmm. you know, and the research and, and uh, what people are thinking and talking about. Um, I never learned all of that, was never taught all of that mm-hmm. and, and didn't try to emulate that because mm-hmm. I didn't know Cause what Because it was, was what to do, right. <laughs> right. So, so I've always just done sort of what, what felt best to me mm-hmm. and, um, and it made it really easy.
2: So you've talked about communicating your values and being transparent. Mm-hmm. You and I have had the opportunity to have those conversations. How would you do that? You're in an interim CEO role right now. So you stepped into a situation that was, I mean, the fact that you were there rather than the former CEO meant, means that something probably went slightly wrong. <laughs> how did you, did. How did you mm-hmm. communicate who you are to uh, investors, that needed to trust you, employees, potential customers, clients. That This was a bit of a turnaround. How do you quickly move in and, and help people see that it's not just words, that you really are a different person? Because the guy before probably had the right words. I don't know many people who say I'm an idiot.
3: So everybody in this situation, it's a very tough situation, uh, all around, all the stakeholders, actually felt very betrayed mm-hmm. and so um, a big important issue to them were what would motivate me to do this mm, okay. um, first because it's a really tough situation mm-hmm. uh, and second because they just trusted somebody and and they they felt betrayed mm-hmm. so so I tell everybody the same thing and this is just the way I work so I when I look at a new opportunity I'm always looking for something that I feel has a bigger purpose mm-hmm. there's a there's a bigger purpose to it than, than making a lot of money and, and, and being you know highly profitable mm-hmm. um, there's a bigger purpose to it and this one just happens to be in the education field so that to me is really important. Uh, the second and third things I look for are am I going to be doing things I love to do with people mm-hmm. I love to do them with
2: mm-hmm.
3: and uh, in in this case when they first walked into the room with this group, despite all that they'd been through, there was nothing but smiling faces, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of hope and mm-hmm. a lot of people really wanting to take this thing forward. and so mm-hmm. there there you go. Education a mm-hmm. bigger purpose, uh, things I love to do. I love you know mm-hmm. challenges mm-hmm. and uh, with people I love to do them with so.
2: It's interesting you started with it's about more than money, which is interesting. And for people listening who don't know Mike, he's a a CFO by training. So you're not the traditional do-gooder, money-doesn't-matter guy. You're a hardcore, (laughs) we-need-to-be-profitable guy who is more focused on doing good. And I just want to clarify that because depending on the the lens the listener is hearing – they may not recognize that you really are a guy who drives profitable results every time and you drive bigger purpose also.
3: That's why investors and business owners get into business. Mm -hmm. They they need and they want to make money. So you can't forget that. Mm -hmm. But they also can't forget that the way you get there is, you know, through the other stakeholders in the company.
2: And that no. by taking care of them. It, well, Absolutely. and something to point out that one of our other colleagues is one who has consistently brought you into these CEO roles. Hmm. Yeah. So, so you know, there are some people who go from position to position and halfway through you wonder who ever considered hiring that guy and thought it was a good idea right? yeah. <laughs> their press may be a little better than their performance and yet for you you have been consistently brought in by the same people who know you and appreciate your values so it's not the press releases it's it's the real guy
3: many times I have been brought in, uh, in more narrower roles maybe a financial role mm-hmm. or there's a big financial challenge um And then eventually, and it usually hasn't taken too long, I get asked to do a much bigger role, a more Mm -hmm. transformative role. And um, so I just – I love doing that, and and I take Mm -hmm. those
2: on. The thing that's interesting also is we still live in a society that tends to value big personality and and some of that stuff. And you're quieter and more deliberate and – more values-based, so less bravado. I leave that to others. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are plenty I, of people willing to do that. <laughs> that,
3: that isn't always necessary <laughs> out of the CEO role, although I would say that uh, a lot of people think it is. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people believe that bravado is really important. You need mm-hmm. to be brave, but you don't have to always show bravado.
4: Mm-hmm. And,
3: uh and so it's, it's just a different style. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think the world has been shown that there are many different ways for companies to be mm-hmm. um, led into success, depending on what your, mm-hmm. you know, your definition of success is. Mm-hmm. And so I don't profess that my way is better than anybody else's. It just really works for me, and I'm more comfortable mm-hmm. in it. And, uh, and we seem to have been pretty successful in things we've taken on doing that.
2: You know, what's interesting to me as I've now interviewed several CEOs, there is consistently the folks that I've interviewed. Now, I also choose to not interview a whole bunch of people. But the folks I've interviewed have been significantly motivated by something bigger than themselves. And while some of them have bigger personalities than others, they act authentically. And each of those authentic styles is effective for them. And so some are bigger personalities. Some are much more quiet and deliberate. I tend to be attracted to people who are quieter and more thoughtful. And the reason I bring this up is so many people, especially emerging leaders, have an image of what leaders look like based on whatever experiences they've had at work, what, what we've seen in the media. You know, we see all this stuff. You know, I, I tune in to our current presidential campaigns and we see big personalities and yet often when I look at the people behind the true successes it's not the the person out front as you've said all there are plenty of people happy to take the credit I'm gonna do the work and move on and so for our listeners I think it's a really important point this being authentic and if you are authentically quiet that's fine
3: you you obviously have to be able to communicate.
2: Oh, okay. right? I'm not saying a mute. <laughs> but no, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah but
3: communication is extremely important. It's just it's just how you do it mm-hmm. and what is the content of that communication and how consistent are you mm-hmm. in why you communicate. So uh, that authenticity is not does not always come easy you need to have a lot of clarity around your own purpose and your own mm-hmm. you know your own missions in life and your vision and uh, and that was the process that I went through that we've talked about before but you know I believe that I was put here to to improve the lives of as many people as I can mm-hmm. before I leave this earth and that's all I'm trying to do and I'm doing it with the talents I think that I've been given and, uh, and that's my motivation
2: and you happen to be given talents in the business arena, so you do it in business. Right. And interesting, you know, some people choose a, a vertical or a, a functional area, and you've worked across a range of industries. And, and it seems like your skills are effective in each of them.
3: Well, and actually, the sort of the the reason that I that I moved from functional area to functional area was because I found that. Um, the people that that I was working with had a hard time understanding. For instance, I was uh, I was a systems developer, and uh, you know, first mm-hmm. people didn't understand systems and computers and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And so, my charge was to to get them to to learn enough mm-hmm. so that they could get the true value of out of what that brought to the business. And then I I went into the financial world for the same reason. Mm. I had undergraduates degree, undergraduate degrees from Ohio State. In uh, computer science and accounting, and people don't understand financials and you know what all that means. And so I took it upon myself to try to make it straightforward enough mm-hmm. for people to understand and focus on what's really important in those financials and trying to understand, you know, everything about them, and be a fi- another financial person.
2: And and so that combination of technical competence. And caring really came together in part of the foundation of your success.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. I, th- I think uh, it doesn't take too long for people to realize that I do really care, mm-hmm. and uh, and that does not caring does not make you weak. Uh, Great point. So you know you when you know what needs to be done, you need to be you need to do it. But you can do it in a caring way. (laughs) In the toughest situations, Mm -hmm. if the other person or the people know that you care Mm -hmm. and you're only trying to do the right thing and you can
2: communicate that to them. And you've consistently behaved in a way that it reflects that.
3: You've got that trust. Mm -hmm. It's a better outcome.
2: I think that's one of the critical points is softer spoken, deliberate, but though, but meticulous in delivering against your values, which means you do the layoffs when you need to do the layoffs. But people understand and they're prepared as far in advance as is appropriate in a professional setting. And they get exit packages and presumably you give them recommendations if they've been good performers and and they are treated with that care before, during, and after. Their work experience with you
3: no i I think that's right, I think that's right, and you know a lot of people a lot of times people don't don't know that what they've been taught mm-hmm. is not actually the right way to do things
0: mm-hmm.
3: and so when you go out on a limb, so to speak, mm-hmm. and you and you talk to them about the right way to do mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. it's more actually more intuitive to them and and they, they end end up taking to that. And so, you know, having the courage up front to just go ahead and talk about what's right. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times you'll find that people just had not had anybody talk to them that way before. And uh, and it's actually much easier for them mm-hmm. than to make the change mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and move forward on a better path.
2: You know, it's interesting for me, both as a person who's been in business for a few decades now, um... To see the difference in how values ha- have evolved, you know, from the '80s and Chainsaw Al and that stuff that was big and um, big personalities and played up and all that, to what we're doing now, that that we really, I think, are seeing a transition. And yet, we're socialized to think something that is in our gut doesn't feel right, but we're taught that's what successful people do. And part of my hope here is to dispel some of that what I think is inaccurate information. Certainly those people were successful for a period of time, highly successful. And yet what they left behind was havoc and chaos and injury to real human beings who had to go home and pull together the pieces after being laid off in a way that was not very human. And, and put themselves back together and go find a new job and deal with families and humiliation that wasn't necessary. So I'm sorry, we're going into a place that, that's emotional for me because it, back to your point, I want to do as much good for as many people as possible. And when I see those kinds of behaviors that are just unnecessary, how do we correct that? So on this more somber note, we're got to break yeah. and give Maureen yeah. something to yeah, cheer her up. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit metcalf-associates.com.
4: are listening to
1: innovative leaders driving thriving organizations to reach maureen metcalf or her guests today please call in to 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com now back to this week's program
2: Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today, we're joined by Mike Sayer, and we're talking about how he has successfully transformed organizations. So, let's go back to to the transformation theme and pick up on some more specifics.
3: Um, okay, um, so we talked about uh, letting people know I work being transparent. But another thing is when you go, when I go into a new organization, the first thing I I really want to do is actually learn everything I can about the organization and Mm -hmm. why why things were done, are done um, the way they are. Mm -hmm. And so I go in, I like to assume first that uh, everything was done for a good reason at the Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And that that protects me from people immediately going to the non-trusting, he thinks mm-hmm. he knows everything, he's, you know, oh, mm-hmm. we're in for it now. Uh, no, no I, I think it's actually a, a shortcut mm-hmm. is to, to take advantage of the, the knowledge that's already there. Mm-hmm. And uh, if things were done for a certain reason at the time, but there are better reasons to do them differently now... And you really ought to be able to talk through that and mm-hmm. and bring people around. and and if if you aren't, maybe you're missing something
2: That's so. the thing when I do onboarding. If people go in too quickly and start making changes, they've often missed something, yeah, because the predecessor, in most cases, was not an idiot. yeah. so if there's something that seems very obvious, there's probably something underneath it that's makes it sticky or it would have been fixed.
3: Well, I, I agree, and, and and I've been in a couple situations where you do go in and something or somebody is very obviously not mm-hmm. not in the right mm-hmm. place, not doing some of the right things, and you know, the first thing is to assume that they're really trying to do what they think mm-hmm. is right, mm-hmm. and they just want to be successful, and uh, if you can't work through that, then you need to make, you know, the more difficult mm-hmm. change, but actually they'll be better off going someplace else and in the organization mm-hmm. will be better off mm-hmm. for them not being there. Um, so, so that's one thing, assuming everything is done for a reason and assume that people's intentions actually are really good and positive going in the right direction. So um, <clears throat> the second thing, or I guess another thing, would be to, through that learning, figure out you know not only what the business model is but what has been sort of the mission and the vision and the guiding principles of the company whether they're written down or not and lots of mm-hmm. people write them and put them on the wall mm-hmm. and they um, aren't th-
2: they aren't true anyway no so you really
3: need to figure <laughs> what the real ones yeah. are and if they're not there you need to develop them mm-hmm. um, in any case they need to be pretty consistent with mm-hmm. your personal uh, mission vision. Uh, Mm -hmm. operating guidelines, uh, because as a leader, that leadership then becomes very natural. Mm -hmm. It's easy to do when everything is lined up. And uh, and so that's another thing. I try to make sure, first of all, that that those are in place. But they're constantly talked about. They're talked about in almost every meeting. They guide your discussions. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. that's what you're there for. That's what your mission is. And and if you're doing something that doesn't line up
2: with the operating guidelines, uh, that's just should we be doing this? Not what we decided <laughs> we were going to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, that gets back to that bit earlier where you're deciding on difficult topics. Yeah. Because often, I mean, you're sitting here very peacefully now, talking about things matter-of-factly, but in the middle of something. These are gut-wrenching decisions for yeah. us as leaders.
3: Yeah, they
2: are. A- and it, it is helpful to have a set of guidelines that we have a collectively agreed on that is, this is how we are around here. This is who we are. This is how we behave. Yeah. And we don't cross that line.
3: And you f- and you find that generally, um, especially over a very short period of time, if somebody goes down one of those wrong paths, you say, yeah, but we said we'd do this. Okay, everybody resets pretty okay. quickly
2: so you call it out there's a level of transparency and willingness to and i don't even have to
3: be the one to call it out other people Mm -hmm. start calling didn't we say we were going to you know this was the way we were going to 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 do these things and uh yeah so it doesn't always have to be you but somebody has to set Mm -hmm. you know um what that what those priorities are
2: well i assume over time people working with you take those on as their own also it's not just Mike's. You These know, are Mike's principles, and
3: so I, I talked about that process I went through. You know what? I had all those thoughts in my head, but I never organized them, and I never mm-hmm. had the clarity until I sat down and I wrote them all out. Mm-hmm. And that was a, you know, a difficult, arduous process that a, a coach <laughs> a long time ago made me do. But um, but it was well, well worth the time, and that mm-hmm. clarity has really served me served me really well.
2: Because you know what they are, and other people around you know what they are, Yeah. and you really do work from those. Yep,
3: yep. Um, so another thing that uh, has really has really been a driver of change in, in, in results has, uh, and this sometimes gets controversial, but compensation programs that get people to um, they get people to focus on the success of the organization rather than the success mm-hmm. of the individual. Mm-hmm. So having the financial background, it's, it's probably a little bit easier for me to craft bonus plans, incentive plans, equity plans, uh, profit sharing plans that everybody benefits from. And they don't feel like at the end of the day, they're just working for the owner and the owner gets all the, the benefit yeah. of their work. No, they get it too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it needs to be substantial to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would tell you, every time we've done that, They've gotten substantial rewards, but the 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 rewards for the company have been much bigger, mm-hmm. much bigger than they mm-hmm. ever would have been otherwise. And the and the change in the results are so much faster, um, because people realize, gee, if, if we're just working together, we can do this a lot better. Mm-hmm. We can do it a lot cheaper. Um, we both get a bigger profit sharing check. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in, in that case, now, you know, some people go, yeah, but that isn't how salespeople are driven. Well. So that so I've done this a couple times as well. Actually, have the salespeople have a commission program mm-hmm. or some sort of individual mm-hmm. incentive program, and a collective program. I always put them in the collective mm-hmm. program. Mm-hmm. Always
2: in, in consulting, there there were times we had certainly profit sharing, yeah. and there, I didn't get my bonus if the group didn't meet their numbers. Yep. Right. So so it's a I don't get to be a lone ranger. Because I get nothing if we don't succeed. Yeah,
3: everybody's tied together.
2: Mm-hmm. It, and there is a an art to creating these. This, this isn't something you just go out with your buddies and have a couple drinks and agree on a program, right? Uh, no, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that is right. That's right. <laughs> so there's a whole lot of work that goes into yep. understanding the dynamics of the work that needs to get done so that what we do as a collective bonus is actually something that – Drives the right behaviors.
3: Absolutely, I mean people. People will do what they're sort of paid to do, right? And mm-hmm. so um, that 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 profitability or that that bonus program or that profit sharing program normally has some minimums. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, a bonus program may have two or three. You don't want to have too many, but two or three different uh, aspects to them that. All need to be balanced, mm-hmm. but they all need to be at certain levels in mm-hmm. order for the organization to do really well. So, uh, so yes, those are not easily crafted, um, but to me they're extremely important and have had a lot of success with people uh, understanding and, uh, and, and being motivated by being part of a team and by being part of a team that's rewarded for mm-hmm. the success of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, so...
2: So it sounds like an interesting blend of incentivizing each individual and incentivizing the team overall.
3: Yeah. And and I'll add one more group to that because transformations, a lot of transformations, you're starting in in not a very good place. Mm -hmm. And people are very unhappy and they, they take that home to their families. And their families say, why
2: don't you get out of there?
3: Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you're
2: really as a CEO working to keep the best people.
3: Absolutely, and so, so I've gone as far to actually write letters to the families hmm. and give them updates uh, on what's going on, why we're doing what we're doing, and trying to keep them more in the fold mm-hmm. and feel that they that they're part of the organization because mm-hmm. they really are. <laughs> if their loved mm-hmm. one comes home and they're constantly sour and, and yeah. uh, not you know and the family's unhappy. And they're worried about their economics. Absolutely
2: right. Absolutely, we're not sure you're going to have a job next month. Yep. And you're working these crazy hours, and you're dealing with with goofiness. Yep. Yeah.
3: If you want, uh, if you want the the extra work, you want people really to stretch. Mm -hmm. Make sure that their family's buying as well.
2: Mm -hmm. It, and it's interesting that you say that because I know when you are working on these turnarounds because I've seen you do it now several times. You're working crazy hours, right, yeah. So. But I, it's,
3: <laughs> it's you know what I love to do uh, mm-hmm. with people I love to do it with. I, so. I'm just thinking
2: that that you're sitting down probably at ten o'clock at night to write a letter to somebody. This yeah, is <laughs> <laughs> just pointing out that that the CEO is not sitting in his office looking for things to do, so he decides to write a personal letter. This is oh, crazy absolutely. busy.
3: So that's important. You know, I tried for a while balance, you know, my personal life and my work life. And, you know, you read all kinds of stuff about that. And finally, I, I, I gave up. It's my life.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, this is, this is what I do. I have mm-hmm. a family and I have work. And mm-hmm. so I just need to balance that as I go, Yeah. right? Sometimes work needs me more. Sometimes my family needs me more, and I just mm-hmm. need to be there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I won't always say I'm successful at either one, but uh, but I gave up trying to say, oh, well, I've worked so many hours this week. I need to do so many hours with the family. You know, that's – I don't know. It just doesn't work for me.
2: I think it's a good point because you and I are similar – I don't have a family, but similar in I, – I guess I have – Family of origin, and and this year with mom becoming ill, it's been a big focus. Yeah. So there are a lot of times I'm I'm driving late at night to go be with family to attend to things, and yeah, you I mean you do what you have to do, and sometimes it's a really late night. Yep. But it, I mean, it it just it's not optional.
3: No. But and those late nights can can, by what you, if you're spending that time wisely, it can free up other time.
2: Yeah. yeah, It's an important point I think that we all try to find balance and the message we hear from the external world is it looks like this and yet for many of us it's not a daily balance, at least for me it's, it's not a daily balance. There are days that are less intense and there are days that are more intense and fit together the tapestry makes a rich life yeah but we don't do what we do because we work eight hours a day nope <laughs> <laughs> they both say laughing <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> with their cups of coffee <laughs> <laughs> so are there any other points you t- you've talked about advisory boards tell us yeah. a little bit about that so
3: I uh, I actually like to use my board okay so I'm the CEO so I can make lots of decisions but I found it extremely helpful to make sure that I am uh, on a regular basis reporting to the board. Okay. All the things that I'd like to know about and I'd like to hear, but also what they'd like to know about and what mm-hmm. they'd like to hear, mm-hmm. and it, it just uh, it keeps me on a track of my own, making mm-hmm. sure that I that I am uh, continuing to satisfy the needs of of my shareholders and the owners of mm-hmm. the company because that's what most boards are. Therefore,
2: um, it's interesting because many people prep and prep and prep for the board, and it's like a beauty contest. Yeah. Right, I get my nails done. I'm um, sorry, I'm going off into. <laughs> no, no, that's <I'm> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, But it, we we put together board packages and we try to make everything look as good as possible. Our salespeople oh, are okay. coercing people. The you know the yeah. the week before, so we hit our numbers, uh, which then impacts the next quarter. So we're we're running up to the deadline to have this meeting with these important people. Yeah. And in fact, what I hear from you is. A very different level of transparency. They're my partners in this process. Absolutely, they're, they're not. Absolutely, they're not the audience.
3: Yeah, yeah. And so you—you, uh, you, this is sort of where the evenness comes in, right? So when you report good or bad news, it needs to be—it uh, needs to be factual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and it needs to be tempered, um, and. And I never lose hope. <laughs> there's, mm-hmm. always, there's always something you can do. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you don't want to dump problems on your board. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you want to have uh, at least your own set of solutions and things that, and a plan that you're going to go down. And then you want to present that to them and let them tell you if they think that will work, if they agree with it, what mm-hmm. they change. And, you mm-hmm. know, give them something to start with. Just don't throw problems at them.
2: Uh, the the other thing i hear there is i trust my board and they trust me.
3: Absolutely, yeah.
2: And, and so i'm not i think where we got into a lot of the financial shenanigans was CEOs and senior teams didn't want to share problems with the board. I can fix this. Let me just cover it up for a while, right? And we'll work it internally and we'll we'll make it sound like there are no problems because we're here to we're here to solve our own problems. Yeah. And yet The true connection to the board is a a kind of partnership that I hear from you that I don't see from everyone.
3: Probably today more than ever, your best board members want to know what's going on.
4: Of course they and do. they can
3: help you the most if they know what's going on. But they're they're legally and financially responsible by sitting in that board seat mm-hmm. for, for things that go on in the company. So uh, if you want the best ones, they want to know that they're gonna know what's going on and they're not gonna be surprised. And so
2: why would you sit on a board if you're not gonna do anything?
3: Long there was a time when <laughs> status.
2: Uh, yeah. Was big I, yeah, sorry. And, that know, was a different rhetorical but, yeah, question. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. but Not so
3: much anymore.
2: Well, and the legal liability is huge.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So on that note, we're going to go to break, and we will be back with Mike Sayer for our third segment momentarily.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment.
4: are listening to
1: Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program.
2: Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today, we are joined by Mike Sayer, and he's talking about his experience turning around several organizations in roles starting often as CFO and CEO or president. So you've worked in these many organizations to help them scale for exit or turnaround. What are the common themes?
3: There are a couple. So the, the, the first one I often see, whether they've got something written down or not, is a uh, lack of a vision, and mission. Guiding principles um, uh, that people can actually understand and live. But on top of that, I'd say focus. And okay. so, certainly having a vision and mission creates focus. But also knowing, you know, what your strengths are, who your customers are, and in uh, in developing, defining, and keeping in your lane or lanes. Although you don't want to have too mm-hmm. many lanes. Uh, is really important. It's important to bring people back into focus on uh, what you're really there to do mm-hmm. and how you're most successful at that. And cut out all the noise you can. And I would say that having a, a stated vision, mission, and guiding principles makes that so much easier because mm-hmm. there are so many things that people don't have to think about. Mm-hmm. Right. So when it comes down to something that really needs thought, they have time to think about it. And they've also got sort of a framework to think about it in. To the probably other, I would say, our lack of compensation plans
4: mm-hmm. that
3: people um, tie to tie to not only their performance but to the company performance, and uh, and feel like they're really part of what's going on, you know, not just from uh, "Hey, buddy, buddy," you know, we're all in this together, but no, they actually but you're get a driving benefit. a fancy
2: car, and I'm right
3: not. They actually get a benefit from mm-hmm. it. So, uh, you know, and. and we don't give people enough credit. You know, people understand that the you know the owner of the business and people who have taken mm-hmm. the risks that they've taken probably are going to make more money. Okay, they get that, mm-hmm. but geez, do they have to take all the money.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when I'm going to work every important. day and <laughs> still need public assistance, yeah. it's broken.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I, I'd say those are probably the two biggest, and I'd say mm-hmm. there there's nothing industry-specific about them, whether it's been in the electronic manufacturing Mm -hmm. services company, it's been in the internet payments processing, uh, you know, cybersecurity software, you know, every company I've been in,
2: Mm
3: -hmm. this stuff is pretty universal.
2: So biggest surprises?
3: Biggest surprises. So probably that people just don't embrace change as much as they should as as just a part of life. Okay. It just is. I mean, even, even companies that have been around a long time and they've got, you know, a lot of people who just sort of maintain things and keep mm-hmm. things going mm-hmm. eventually, things change. You know, they become irrelevant. They're not as mm-hmm. vibrant an organization. And like it or not, those maintainers are going to have to find something else to maintain. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot tougher, <laughs> right, than, than just accepting and embracing, actually embracing the change mm-hmm. in your organization and being part of that. And and I would tell you that that's that's not just young people. Older people will do that too, if they understand you know why the change mm-hmm. is taking place, and you make it uh, a good environment for them to mm-hmm. to to try things and mm-hmm. not uh, have to worry about you know being perceived as being mm-hmm. old and a fuddy duddy and can't change and you know and no, it's, it, it, that's not age dependent.
2: I think of of <laughs> new iPhones coming out and new technology. I would imagine, while I am not one of the people standing in line the first night to, to get that phone, yeah. I would imagine it's not all teenagers. It is not. Yeah. You have newest phones <laughs> often. I've actually had the newest phone recently. So, it's yeah, it's not age-dependent. Yeah. Although it, there may be a bias toward age, right, That that young folks tend more likely to. So
3: I think – and I'm a little bit older. So I would say, you know, you, you know what you know, and you, you can get sort of comfortable mm-hmm. with that. Um, as fast as technology moves, you can get behind pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And so in order to make that change, you have to, uh, you have to offer some way mm-hmm. for those folks to quickly get up to speed enough that they can see and, and, and realize the advantages of the newer technology.
2: I've talked to folks who, who have said, you know, so-and-so on my team. I don't think they have enough runway left in their career to ever get current again.
3: <laughs> so one company, it was a larger company, probably a Fortune 1000 company. We, I went in and, uh, and we decided that we needed to change all of the financial systems across mm-hmm. this whole big company with organizations, you know, around the world. And so I needed to put together a project team. And two of the people on my project team were two of the oldest financial – I mean, physically oldest Mm -hmm. financial people and people that nobody would have ever thought would have tackled a new technology, let alone be on the project team, Mm -hmm. to to implement it. Hmm. And uh, um, gave them an environment to which to learn Mm -hmm. and to make mistakes and to figure it out. And they became leaders. They knew the business so well that giving them new tools – uh, and, and allowing them the time to learn about them, understand mm-hmm. them, and figure out how they would use them. Oh, they were just so energized. It was really cool. Oh, how fun.
2: Yeah. Well, and in that case, we, we just wrote a paper that's in to be published that looks at uh, what are the three primary constituents or perspectives we need in decision making. And one is just years of experience, yeah. right? That years on the planet actually matters. I may be brilliant. But if I'm 20, I don't have the perspective of how something's going to play out because I've not seen it play out.
3: So the the other side of that is if you think you know too much, and you, you know everything already, and there's uh, nothing. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah, you don't get. Yeah, the you're lot. in trouble, right? Because uh, what I like about working with millennials and younger mm-hmm. people in general is they're they don't they're not constrained. Yeah. You know, by all yeah. of that experience, right? And so they'll want to try things that maybe you did see, you know, didn't mm-hmm. work before, but you know what? Everything's different now. So don't you can't automatically just jump to, ah, hey, I tried that before, it didn't work. Huh? <laughs> Think again.
2: <laughs> so so that's part of what we looked at is what are the multiple perspectives. Yeah. So I don't want just someone with years of experience. I don't want someone just someone who's brilliant. And I don't want just someone who's developmentally complex. Yeah. How do I have each of those perspectives covered, which are usually in different people. Yeah. so so again, back to our mutuality and collective decision making. for complex decisions, I need different people who hold those different views. Absolutely. Okay, so let's shift gears. Um, you collaborated on the innovative leaders' guide to transforming organization. What was different about this book that would make it a good read for people driving a transformational change in their company?
3: You know, when when you gave me sort of the first rough draft uh, of the book, I actually was almost floored by how much of it were were things that that I had already been doing. I just, you know, I...
2: Actually, one of the companies was one of the companies we had both worked for.
3: Yeah, and I, I had no, you know... I didn't know that all these things existed, and you know, mm-hmm. and that people did them, and so, um, so seeing all of that in one place, in the, in this sort of way, I think the integrative, holistic uh, approach, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just like knowing all of your stakeholders, and and you know, taking that sort of three sixty degree approach to that, mm-hmm. uh, and really thinking through and having a lot of clarity in your vision, your mission, uh, those sorts of things, um, I think. I think anybody reading this book, especially with more of a traditional background, will really have an eye-opening experience to other ways to doing things. Mm, okay. Um, uh, number one, uh, but then in addition, one of the biggest challenges, and this is this is an area that I I wish I could have figured out sooner, is uh, the sustainability of the transformation once mm-hmm. you leave.
2: Yeah, because um, for people who are tra- focused on transformation, you transform and go to the next. That's good. you don't stay and run it.
3: No, I. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're a I, transformation I, I just, guy. I just don't. Right. So, yeah. um, so how do you how do you, and, and even if you have built uh, you know an awesome company and you're the founder and you're the CEO, many times when that person goes, huh, nobody else had the level of knowledge. You know, had the mm-hmm. thought processes. Uh, to really sustain that, and that's you know that's why a lot of times um, family-owned companies that only make it a couple generations, you know, that make it three or four generations are like, wow, that's unbelievable, right? So you really need uh, sort of a blueprint,
1: mm-hmm. you know, uh,
3: for sustainability of mm-hmm. these sorts of thought processes. So I look, uh, you know, at that guide. And i said wow that's that's sort of the way i think that's the way i do things i could take that guide in any place that i'm in Mm -hmm. and have you know uh you know training around it um you know have the guide around so that people can actually learn i I believe that leaders are both born and developed Mm -hmm. right there are certain things that are born uh, you know you're born with but there's a lot that can be developed and uh, and so when I look at the sustainability of a transformation, you know, across uh, leaders, and you know, far into the future, you need blueprints, something I, that you can pass on. And I and I think that that we don't do a very good job. And I hadn't done a very good job in the past of having that blueprint. I do now.
2: Thank you. <laughs> you know One Thank of the you. the vibrancy research. One of the things we've talked about is. Similar to what you've said, there are people who are absolutely brilliant and unconscious about it. Mm. So they create an organization, but the unconsciousness means they haven't imbued the next generation of either family or of leaders to sustain that because they don't know what is the secret sauce. It's right. just how we do things around here. So as people change, you're not protecting that; those specific pieces of brilliance that are unique to that organization. And to your point, what we really tried to create is more of a systematic approach that helps people identify. So it's a workbook yeah. that it's it's not the unilateral guide.
3: Yeah, sometimes we, we as leaders think that people are just going to get everything by osmosis and they, they actually don't.
2: Perfect. Thank you. So I'm going to go into wrap-up and talk about some of the takeaways I've heard today from Mike. Vision, mission, guiding principles, and focus. So it's not good enough to have vision, mission, and guiding principles. I actually need to follow them consistently. Use them every meeting. Use them as my North Star. These are the foundations for which we make decisions. They need to be mine as the leader and that of the organization, and we need to be aligned. So there is consistency and reliability. Personal qualities. What I've heard is caring, trustworthiness. I'm doing a presentation on trust tomorrow and what I heard from Mike was consistently those bullets in my presentation, which, thank you, (laughs) makes my presentation (laughs) more real at this moment. Hope, doing the right thing, courage to do the right thing, transparency, consistently, Consistency and this idea that I need to own and correct my mistakes so I did what I thought was the right thing and oops got it wrong or didn't live up to it Um, and then on the culture and system side again transparency mutuality driving results consistently and partnership with stakeholders board employees partners external partners clients so that bigger circle always in service of doing something better for the community for the greater good so I want to thank Mike for joining us Uh, it's always a delight to get to talk to you and I'm enjoying that other people get to hear this conversation now because I love sharing and one of the best parts of doing this work is I get to talk to amazing people and to share that with our listeners is one of the best parts of my life is, is that We get to make these conversations public. And so uh, hopefully people have heard something from Mike that you are able to take away and implement in your life on an ongoing basis. And I would love to hear your feedback, either info at Metcalf-Associates.com or go to our Facebook page, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations Give us feedback. Tell us what worked. If you've done an experiment and tried a new behavior, let us know what it was. I would love to share your successes or share your stories on the air. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you again for joining us this week.